Amazon found out that if they were to slow down their page load time by one second, it would cost them $1.6 billion mm -hmm. per sales year. But this is not unique. If you take any high traffic leading tech company on the web right now, they will have published a study very similar to this. Hey, welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. I'm Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And I'm Matt, and I'm a growth engineer at HubSpot. So today we're going to be talking about web performance and how it fits into your growth model and even things like how your page's performance is going to affect the user experience of your site. Uh, and above everything else, we want to make sure that what you take away from this episode, uh, hopefully, we'll see, um, is that... Uh, depending on your business and your acquisition model and your growth model and your brand and all these things, performance might not be the first thing that you focus on, but it also might be uh, imperative to your growth model. So it might be very, very important for you. Uh, and coincidentally, when we decided to do this episode, uh, this morning, Smashing Magazine posted an article on web performance. So uh, there's a really cool quote that was from here, which related uh, performance uh, and uh, to uh, elevators in the mid-19th century, which is really cool. And it introduces this idea of active and passive waiting, right? And the example that they use is back in the day uh, in elevators, people used to complain a lot about how long it took for uh, the elevator to get to where it was going. And the solution was to add mirrors into the elevator. That way there, people had something to look at and something to do while they're in the elevator. And the complaints just dropped off. And so the moral of that is on our web pages, uh, the first uh, possible moment that we can give users something to look at and turn them from a passive uh, waiter to an active waiter is going to drastically uh, change the experience and the perceived load time of their page. This brings up two things in my mind. One, the difference between an active and a passive waiter is very uh, important in the restaurant industry. And two, the <laughs> <laughs> it's a different, okay. And two, uh, based on that solution, I'm feeling like the MBTA should consider mirrors as well to mm. cut down on the wait time that they've been. They seem to have gone for the approach of just making everything like really dirty and hopefully like you kind of see it as like <laughs> that the same way, yeah. <laughs> You spend half the ride cleaning yourself off. You're not gonna notice, okay. <laughs> I would love mirrors just because uh, whenever I'm on the subway, I always make sure that I stand with my back to the doors when mm -hmm. the doors are closed. And then when the doors open, I, I turn around because I'm always afraid of getting stabbed in the back here in Boston. Uh -oh. <laughs> oh, I'm always afraid of someone looking over my shoulder and just like peering at everything. Yeah, I'm afraid of being asleep when happens. the doors open and <laughs> yeah. falling, which there's a great video online if you guys haven't seen that. That's it's always a great surprise. You're like, I'm going to walk in and then somebody just the doors open and a man like falls out. <laughs> just like sticks straight, hits the ground. You're just like, what happened to him? <laughs> no, nah, he was just asleep against the doors. <laughs> that happens sometimes. Anyway, sorry, we were talking about web performance a minute ago. Let's get back to that. <laughs> so, Matt, you had a that's a really cool analogy like mm -hmm. in the physical world, right? 
But what's awesome about this analogy is that you can actually tie it back to real metrics that have been measured in the digital medium. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an interesting metric that I share in, in a speech that I'm currently giving now at a bunch of different conferences across the country. And basically what it says is that Amazon found out that if they were to slow down their page load time by one second, it would cost them $1.6 billion mm -hmm. per sales year, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, for every 100 milliseconds of latency that they have, it costs them 1% of mm -hmm. their profit. But this is not unique. If you take any high traffic uh, leading tech company on the web right now, they will have published a study very similar to this. Google, by slowing down search by ten four tenths of a second, they would lose 8 million searches per day. But what's crazy is that when they ran this experiment, they found that it actually had a long-lasting effect even after they stopped the slow. So, so, they, so on like user retention, people coming back to yeah. perform searches because they just they didn't just, think it was going to work or something? Yeah. yeah. So, cool. so they introduced the delay. Did four they study um, how much more likely those users were to go to like Bing? For example, <laughs> I don't know if because that would I mean, be a great follow-up. By the way, it's like yeah. Google users dropped off based on a slightly slower website and also did not join Bing. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bing. <laughs> so, so basically, they introduced this slow by four-tenths of a second. Yeah. They found that they would lose eight million searches per day. But even after they sped the search back up, users still were searching less. Mm. Right? So there was this lasting effect. It's beyond. Even when your site is slow, you're, obviously, you, you, you have direct issues there, but even after you fix that issue, there is still going to be a lasting perception mm -hmm. around your site, around your brand, that's going to cause engagement and usage to go down. So you actually, you'd be better off just never even letting it be slow in the first place, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Yahoo, 400 milliseconds slower page load time led to 9% less traffic. Wow. AOL, faster pages led to more page views. They found that the 80th percentile of load times, so the people with really, really slow load times, viewed an average of two pages. However, people in the 10th percentile, much faster load times, viewed an average of eight pages. So increased engagement. Staples, e-commerce is really big for them. They reduced their medium home page load time by one second and reduced load time for the 98th percentile by six seconds. Wow. And they found a 10%, yeah, six seconds. Isn't that insane? So the question is, what was wrong with their site before? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's a huge improvement. I wonder yeah. if they're bringing in Typekit, because for until a couple months ago, mm -hmm. if you use Typekit, uh, Adobe's font sharing service, just like uh, the equivalent of Google Web Fonts, mm -hmm. uh, if you use it on your site, they actually made a blocking request that prevented the entire page from loading to the user. Mm -hmm. So if you use Typekit to load in your font, that would block until like a month ago, they realized like, we shouldn't do that. It yeah. caused like two seconds of perceived wait time. Wow. Okay, so Staples may have been using Typekit. Mm -hmm. We're not sure. <laughs> we should look that up. That's yeah. However, re they reduced the medium homepage load time by one second and reduced the load time for the 98th percentile by six seconds. And they saw a 10% increase in their conversion rate. Shopzilla, another e-commerce brand, Five-second faster load time increased page views by 25% and revenue by 12%. Aberdeen Group, one-second slower load time decreased page views by 11% and conversions by 7%. GQ, 
cut load time by 80% and saw an 80% increase in traffic, and the medium time spent on the site also increased by 32%, hmm. right? Put all that together, and that's a lot of different types of sites that are leading, leading online presences that are all coming to the same conclusion, and that's that page load time has a direct impact on the major metrics that, that we're, we're measuring to, mm -hmm. to drive our businesses forward. Beyond that, Google officially factors page site speed, or I'm sorry, factors page speed and site speed into page ranking in search engine results, right? Um, and there's, there's a lot of interesting information on this, but if you want to understand how they actually factor that, you can uh, check out their page speed insights rules. I'll put the, the link in the description of this podcast. And what you'll find is that it's actually related to uh, paid specific uh, page speed metrics, but also to usability, mm -hmm. right? So, so making it easy for the page to load, and then once the page has loaded, making it easy for the user to use. Uh, and they have some really interesting ways of measuring usability and some guidelines for uh, how you can improve that so that you'll rank higher in Google and you'll also deliver a better experience to your user. Put all that together and then relate it back to the user, and you'll find that the average user will abandon a site if it does not load within three seconds. Mm. This is imperative. I right? heard something similar, though, with that mm -hmm. number being a lot higher. It was like six or seven seconds. Mm -hmm. Did that change recently? Um, I don't know. I would argue that work with the three-second rule and not the seven-second rule, because, mm -hmm. you're, I mean, like, let's say it is seven seconds at like the extreme, if you're shooting for three seconds, like you heard all the numbers, like you're gonna do yeah. a lot better. Like mm -hmm. you should be shooting for something that strict. I wonder what some benchmarks are. Like what would we define as a fast loading site? I think I think that a fast loading site is within a couple seconds. Okay. Um, the like you know some of the fastest loading sites that you'll see. What do we define as loading though? Is that like the second that you put something on the screen to look at it all, or is that once all the requests required for the site to work? To have been made. Uh, the the way that I would define that is mm -hmm. once you have enough content displayed above the fold mm. for the user to actually engage with yep. with your right. site. So one, once that mouse starts moving around and they're like trying to do stuff, like because mm -hmm. yeah. you can actually like the Google uh, tool that checks your page speed. Yep, webpagetests.org. That's not the Google one, is it? Yeah, it is. This, this is the one that's run by, it's open source by Google. Uh, yeah, one. but you okay. can also, the, there's, there's Jeff, one that's probably like in the, the one that you're thinking in the about. analytics tool or something yes, like that. Yes, uh, it's Google's PageSpeed Insights. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. So that one, what it will do is it will give you um, the time between when you first make the request to when every asset on the page is finished loading, yeah. which isn't reflective of the user's perceived load right. time. Yeah. So like what they think um, the page is, like, Facebook or, uh, Facebook is a great example, so I'm gonna stick with Facebook. They do a thing where they load all of the major components right off the bat, and the posts are like the last thing. You know, all of like that custom content is the last stuff. But what that allows you to do is navigate through the site to find what you want. Like if you're here and you don't wanna look at your feed, like you log on to Facebook and you wanna like set up an event, you can do that way before any of your custom content is loaded. And that's huge, right? That means that you know the page is not done loading, but the perceived load time is so low that you can just use the website and it's not even done loading yet. Like that's the pinnacle of 
um, yep. building a site that users think is fast. Right. They actually give you the UI to look at, and it, if you load it, uh, you'll see that the UI is just completely empty. Right. But all the components are there, so you have the blue navigation bar up top, and you have the white cards where the posts will go, so your eye is already directed to right. what's important on the page before yeah. the data is there. The same thing is actually happening in the new LinkedIn app that mm -hmm. was just released. They have filler content in your feed that's right. basically populated. But speaking of Facebook, they have some really creative solutions for uh, how they make content appear to have already loaded and, and be worthy of engagement without actually really loading anything. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an interesting post on the Facebook developer blog probably two months ago, I want to say. I think it was over the summer. Oh, okay. Yeah, same thing. Same, yeah, same thing, whatever. You're right. <laughs> um, and, and basically what, what they boiled it down to is they were, they were talking about how they load big banner images, like heavy images, and, and make them appear to have loaded without actually fully loading the full image, and they just kind of lazy load it. Um, so the, Facebook actually initially loads a 42 by 42 pixel JPEG image, scales it up, and then applies a blur to it to take the image from an initial payload of 70 kilobytes down to 200 bytes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that blur is the difference between a nice blurred preview image and that pixely crap that yeah. you know it actually is if you take the blur away. Mm -hmm. I always wondered about that. Like it is like a, a like an awful looking picture when you blow it up that big, but mm -hmm. they do some some magic to it to make it um, look okay. Mm -hmm. However, I wonder if older browsers can do that same effect. This is just a mm. side note. Like can Internet Explorer 8 do the blur? Or do they just see like it depends gross. how they do it? Yeah, if, they, yeah. if you do it with CSS, then no, or with like an SVG filter, then no. Yeah. Facebook also has a cool practice that they do that's worth mentioning. I can't remember if it's called Throttled Tuesdays or Throttled Thursdays, but they have a day of the week um, where they will, if you opt into it, if you're a developer, where they will throttle your internet connection so that you can actually see what the experience is like using their products for the mm -hmm. users in lesser developed countries or that are on mobile with like really shoddy uh, connections and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Just so that they're mindful of it. That's cool. Uh, Jeff, to answer your question, I, I don't remember them mentioning it in the article, but it's also a really long article. Right. Um, but I would be willing to wager that they did Take that, take the old, older browsers and technology stacks into account because this this optimization was actually specifically aimed at the developing world. They wanted to increase their their load times for for people with really slow internet connections, and they actually call out in the beginning of the article that uh, in the developing world, the majority of users that are accessing Facebook from a mobile device are still using 2G, um, gotcha. and and so as a result of this, they were actually able to. Uh, it took a while for them to really crack the code on how they do this, but they ended up speeding up profile and page loads by 30%. Mm -hmm. So it was, I think that's a, it's a pretty cool thing, and it's a very creative solution to yeah. like a, a pretty simple problem that like, I remember when they rolled it out, I was like, oh man, like something feels better about this. And then it's like, oh God, they're, they're like blurring the images. I would assume that by 30% you mean not counting the actually... Um, the regular size image, right? Are you no, talk, yeah. It's, you're talking it's, about like right. when everything loads on the page before they decide to like progressively enhance the page with mm -hmm. the content that's full size or that's you know, the text and stuff like yep. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, but so I will also place that article in the description of this episode. It's called The Technology Behind Preview Photos. It's, it's really interesting, especially if you're a developer because they share like specifically how they did it. Word. Cool. 
another side of this that I think is really interesting is like how web page performance fits with your growth and acquisition model. And that can we can tie that back specifically to some very actionable insights into how you can improve your web page performance and whether or not it's worth investing in doing so for you. Mm. So for example, if part of your acquisition strategy is to target uh, demographics that let's say are outside of the country that your servers for your website are hosted on, then that means that those people, when they try to load your site, have to make a round trip request to your server, wherever that may be. So if you're targeting people that are in, I don't know, Asia or something like that, and you have your uh, server in somewhere in Texas, that is a lot of extra um, traveling that the request has to make to deliver that payload before you even begin to think about how you can optimize your assets and minify them and that kind of thing. And so in that case, like if that's your strategy, it makes a lot of sense to use what's called a CDN or a content delivery network, through which case um, you're just delivering static assets and static files that are distributed across the world on this like global network um, so that if someone from Asia tries to make that request, it's going to see, oh, we have a copy of this file on the server that's nearby you within like 100 miles or so. Let's just grab it from there mm-hmm. rather than going all the way across the globe. Yeah. Something to note, something to note about that. Um, is that static is the important word here. Mm. So if you have, let's say you have like a Python app where, you know, you send a request to load the website and, you know, you need to hit a database to pull up all the user's information and then send it back, that can't run in a CDN. That has to go to your server farm in Texas. So, you know, (laughs) like Amazon offers a couple of things. I know, um, you know, here at HubSpot, we use a pretty crazy... um, set of tools in order to deliver that kind of stuff. We we have a CDN for all of our images and all of our JavaScript stuff. Um, we have other servers that are specifically for our API and for, our, um, for interacting with the database. And the way that we set it up, which is, I mean, you're, you need a bigger team to do what we do, which is um, we separate the two. You know, the app lives in the, like the, the front end app lives in the CDN. And all the JavaScript is all separate. And then, you know, we make requests to an API, which is completely separate. There's no middle tier. But for people who are like just getting started building like maybe a Ruby on Rails app or building a Python app or PHP, WordPress, um, you have to consider that a CDN might not be your best fit. You know, you actually have to like you might have a single server to right. work with. It can potentially be an investment, but again, that ties back into like how important is that investment in your acquisition strategy, Mm, right? mm -hmm. I think that there's other examples that tie into like what your growth strategy is. Like if you're a Buzzfeed or someone that require, that kind of like relies on delivering content to mobile devices and mobile is your audience, well then you need to make for damn sure that all of your pages are actually mobile first. And what does that mean? It means delivering the bare minimum of uh, assets and content in that initial payload for the page to work on mobile. And then you can make further requests to progressively enhance that page on desktop. That way there you're not requesting more than you actually need. So I think that you kind of have to like look at uh, what is the context of our growth strategy? What is the context of our acquisition strategy? What is our actual product, right? Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to like make a call of how important um, performance is for you. And I think for the examples of like e-commerce, the answer is very important, right? Because uh, 
just because of bounce rate and the statistics for how we see that increase so drastically as we add on milliseconds. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Uh, some of the stats around like how much money is mm -hmm. lost every year uh, due to carts that have been abandoned and how you can tie abandoned carts to page load time. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're talking like $18 billion. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have something right in front of you to talk about with that, but that reminds me of something mm -hmm. that came out not too long ago. Uh, I'm going to let you do your thing before I pretend to remember what, I'm, what I was going to okay. say. Okay. All right. So I do, I do have some statistics uh, that go, it goes something like this, all right? One, 18% of shoppers will abandon their cart if the page loads too slow, which we can infer was somewhere around three three to seven seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably three seconds. That is, if you think about that metric, that is actually very difficult to measure like across the entire web, you know? Um, so that probably, like probably the optimal minimum load time will vary based off of the, the industry that you're in. But I think it's ideal to optimize for three seconds. That's the, the most reliable metric that I've seen. Um, so 18% so of shoppers will abandon their cart if the page loads too slow. At the same time, the total cost of abandoned shopping carts for online retailers has been estimated at more than $18 billion per year. If 18% of that loss can be attributed to slow pages, then this correlates to more than $3 billion in lost sales just across US e-commerce sites due to poor performance, right? So um, <clears throat> I think that like especially Matt to your point especially in the e-commerce space like we can really really tie uh, site performance mm -hmm. to um, to end conversion rate and, yep. and to revenue uh, and that actually goes exponentially up when you start dealing with the mobile medium mm -hmm. you know um, <clears throat> mobile users actually represent uh, a pretty good portion of uh, the the population that will go through a an e-commerce checkout. Yet at the same time, up to 97% of mobile shopping carts will be abandoned. Mm -hmm. And that's usually because the the mobile e-commerce experience is just terrible. Yeah, I can think of like checking out is something that I don't like to do on a phone. Yeah, um, it's nerve wracking. Yeah, because. Uh, scrolling around through a site, I, I, this is more of an anecdotally than like, I'm not looking at any statistics here. It's like scrolling around through a site and clicking on the images in order to look at the information. That's usually very well designed for the mm -hmm. most part. Um, trying to fill out a text field and all of the required information, your address, like everything. There's like so many fields that go into adding like shipping and bill um yeah shipping and billing information and then like your payment information and then do you want to create an account in order to save this information for the future and do you want to get offers and i'm like no nah, i'll just do this on desktop where i have a mouse and i'm not like struggling to mm -hmm. you know get through this atrociously large form um and there have been uh, you can find articles all the time about people trying to redesign this experience mm -hmm. especially like the address field is like the amount of friction that that introduces is insane. Mm -hmm. Trying to pick your country alone is like a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I always love it when it's like, they know my location based off of what my browser and my IP address are telling them, <laughs> but they still make me pick the country yeah. and they don't even put United States at the top. I have to scroll all the way down. Oh, there's United Arab Emirates. I must be close, right? Right, right. but they also want you to know that they are international. 
Mm. They are large. This is this is about perception. Oh yeah. Right, and not at all poor design. Not <laughs> even a little bit. It's very intentional. Right, but the amount of hierarchy that they have in all of their designs, you know, somebody thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Okay, so I think that actually the solution to the mobile e-commerce issue might be a little bit different than than we would initially think. Like your initial thought would be, okay. Um, over half of all e-commerce traffic is on mobile and 97% of mobile shopping carts go abandoned. And a lot of this relates back to performance. Mm. So probably what we need to do is just really increase performance on the mobile version of the site and then we're going to increase conversions. That's actually not true. Um, a lot of the conversions still won't happen on the mobile site just because it's completely unintuitive to, to purchase uh, a product on a mobile site. And most users don't go to an e-commerce site on mobile with the intent to purchase. Actually, what we're seeing is that a lot of e-commerce purchases will happen after multi-session visits. So rather what you wanna do is optimize the experience on the mobile site optimize the performance and experience on the mobile site, not just for conversions, but rather just for a better experience so that the user will be more inclined to come back on the desktop mm -hmm. and complete that purchase. Right. So like a better browsing experience, right. especially. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's kind of too bad that um, they're two different devices because it sounds like it would be great if they had a history of what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. Because if, yeah. assuming that the performance was good and the experience was positive for them, the next best thing is like, okay, what was I looking at? This yeah. is Amazon, you know? Yeah. But that's that's a whole different challenge. And Amazon does does do that to a degree, like with their, they're really good at that with their mobile app and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and even um, on, on their, their mobile site if you happen to log in or whatever. And, and they, they're good at tokening people and everything like that. But yeah, wouldn't it be awesome if like you could detect a user on your mobile site and have them get you know 50% through the checkout and then when they go to your site on desktop you could greet them and say hey we noticed that you almost checked out would you like to resume your checkout process right exactly and Comcast has my social security number so they know who I am whenever <laughs> using the internet everywhere they just need to like be better and then like seriously like seriously like I had to Comcast I have to pay better. money with identification <laughs> So like the internet, th th at the, the simplest level, the internet knows who I am. Mm -hmm. So why doesn't Amazon on every device that I'm on, <laughs> right? They that, would have to do some sketchy things that a lot yeah. of people wouldn't like if, if that They already the are, that's no. not. Yeah, yeah, yes and no. Uh, but what about outside of like e-commerce? Like I, an interesting example is like, if part of your growth model is just getting actual page views, like if you're monetizing on ad clicks or ad views or something like that. There was a cool example um, about uh, an engineer at YouTube that did an A-B split test on uh, YouTube's payload size. And apparently their payload size was about a megabyte at the time that he did this experiment. And through a bunch of hacks and just trying to minify everything, just barely get it working, he somehow got it to around 100 kilobytes, which is about a tenth of the size. And when they A-B split tested the minified payload compared to the regular payload, um, which would load probably upwards of almost a second faster, right? Um, they discovered that average page load time actually went up for the smaller file size, mm. which is counterintuitive. But the reasoning is that they were opened up to entirely new audiences who were never able to even like dream of accessing YouTube in the first place until they reduced that payload size 
which if you think about what that does for ad revenue, there's a lot more people actually hitting that page now as a result. And so that's a case, and once again, in which like performance is incredibly important to their monetization model. Yeah, they started seeing more users from Southeast Asia, South America, mm-hmm. Africa that previously wouldn't have even messed around with YouTube. Yep. And now it's like, wait a second, this is actually possible. Right. I'm going to do this. Speaking more about getting outside of e-commerce, something that was really interesting to me about this AOL study that I cited earlier is that they actually discovered that depending on the content that they were serving, uh, performance uh, became more important or less important, almost based off of the audience that they mm-hmm. were dealing with, right? So for AOL AOL autos, for example, like when they're serving cars, it had like a mid, mid-range performance increase, right? When you go to money and finance, it was absolutely critical. Like the, the difference between the 80th percentile and the 10th percentile was night and day. Mm-hmm. And then if you take it down to shopping, it's like, again, like somewhere in between, uh, if you take it to movies, it's like very, very, very little impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't necessarily consider these like key like things that we could, you know, go back and say, oh, okay, well, you know, we're we're Fandango like performance, you know, since AOL did the study and movies, you know, page load didn't really affect uh, engagement as much. For them, like we can just forget, <laughs> we, we can forget right. performance. Like, no, not at all. This is just an interesting, uh, an interesting finding that AOL had. But if you look at all of the graphs, you'll notice that going from around the 80th through the 100th percentile uh, up to like the 30th to the 10th percentile, the difference is massive. No matter what, mm-hmm. it's just that it's way more staggering. Um, like the 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 slope of the graph is way more staggering for certain industries, which tells mm. you that depending on the type of content that you're serving, people are going to be either much much less patient or just a little bit impatient. That but no matter what, wonder, they're impatient. <laughs> that makes me wonder if there's a relationship between the demographics of the audience too. Mm-hmm. Like maybe people above sixty are more patient. They're just like, oh, it'll get here when it gets here. You know? <laughs> is that the finance or the auto specifically? Uh, that would probably be finance, yeah. if we're being honest here. <laughs> no, I think that that's true. I, like when I when you were talking about um, the difference on a per industry basis, what it, what I think of is um, that content being like if you t- think about journalism, right? Mm-hmm. So like finance journalism, this is this is you're reading articles, for example. Um, you might be you're kind of like w- what is a person doing while they're doing that? They're usually just killing time, right? So. The internet's great at helping you kill time. You don't need to kill time there. Like that's not like critical, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're searching, if you're trying to buy a movie ticket, like there's a task at hand. There's something, you know, you you don't you don't necessarily you might might have your favorite, you might have a site that you've used before, um, and you'll give it you'll give it some more time. Like mm-hmm. you're coming in, you're trying to accomplish a task. It's interesting though that um, shopping is like a half and half because when you go in and you know what you want. I bet that the amount of load time that you're willing to tolerate is much higher yeah. than if you're just going in and like trying to figure out what to get for Christmas. You don't really mm-hmm. even like know yet, you know? Like, it's all about commitment. Right, right exactly. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I'm going to use our own product as an example. Uh, for HubSpot CRM product, the people that are using it are mostly sales reps, for example, and they're going to be in that thing all day. And so our mm. initial payload size, and this goes for like most cloud software that's out there, 
when it's so complex, like you're actually okay with it taking like five to 10 seconds to load or so. Not that ours takes that long, um, <laughs> but but you're okay with it because you know that it's complex, like you've accepted that and you're gonna be in it for quite a while doing a lot of like power lifting with it. So in that case, like it's still best practice since you know that this thing's going to take a while to download uh, all those bytes over the wire to the user's machine. You can still like show them some kind of loading indicator, right? And it was interesting in the, in the Smashing Magazine article that we referenced earlier. Um, there was a cool uh, stat in here, which is that uh, whenever you know that something is going to take five to ten seconds or perhaps longer to load, it is best practice to use a loading indicator that's going to tell them on average about how long this thing is going to take to load. And if you try to show a loader like that. Uh, for something that's not going to take five to ten seconds, you're actually going to basically increase, anything less than five seconds. Yes, you're you're gonna you're gonna increase their expectations for how long something is to load, and you might just create a drop-off point there where they just say screw it, I'm not right. going to wait for this thing. So if the load time is five seconds or less, mm -hmm. and you add a loader, then mm -hmm. the perceived load time is actually higher. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're better off not even displaying a loader in the first place because you're setting a completely different expectation. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you guys want to shift to some? action items, like what you can do to yeah. do a, a performance audit and that kind of thing. Let's do it. Um, so I don't know what the site you guys were referencing earlier was, the Google one, but I know of webpagetest.org. And essentially what it does, it, it is open source by Google. What it does is you put your website in there and it's going to tell you um, how long the perceived load time is. It'll tell you once the document has loaded, it'll give you a red bar and tell you that point, which will usually be within like one to three seconds if you're doing most things right. Um, but then it'll also tell you like what the actual load time is, which is defined as uh, once like five seconds or more have passed with no open requests, like mm -hmm. still actively like trying to download some assets. Um, so once that happens, you know that like everything that's required on the page is there. So go check that out, type type your site into it, um, see, how it's, see how it's doing. Uh, and see like where, if you have maybe like low hanging fruit and that kind of thing, like maybe you have some massive image that's like eating up a ton of overhead mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and on that note, probably the most important thing you can do to optimize your web pages is to reduce the amount of HTTP requests that you make, mm -hmm. okay? There's this famous rule in computer science that's called the 80-20 rule. And it basically s relates to performance in that uh, probably 20% on average of uh, actual page load time and perceived load time is going to happen on the server level or in that initial request to get something, right? And 80% of the load time is actually trying to deal with the, the latency in the request, like waiting for this thing to download and waiting for this thing to execute, right? So that kind of like transportation period uh, of when you're loading up the site. Um, and every time you add up add in an HTTP request unnecessarily, you're just adding to that problem, right? So some actionable insights is if you have like a bunch of style sheets on your page, or if you have like a ton of JavaScript libraries and that kind of thing, pull them all into one single bundle, okay? And then minify that code to reduce the file size. That way there you only make one single HTTP request to grab all your JavaScript or grab all your CSS, and you can just download it in one single request. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, so I, 
probably like a year ago, I published an article called Five Easy Ways to Speed Up Your Website. Oh, perfect. Um, and I, I can go through a few of, of the ones that I have on there, and I've actually added a, uh, some additional ones that I'll go through as well. Yeah, reduce HTTP requests. Uh, run speed tests, and I'll go through some tools that you can use to do that. Specify your image dimensions. That's pretty straightforward. Optimize your images, so mm -hmm. use JPEGs and then uh, compress them. Um, put CSS at the top and JavaScript at the bottom. Minify your code. Utilize browser caching. And if it makes sense for you, set up a CDN. And depending, of course, as we were discussing earlier, like depending on the type of CDN implementation that you need, that could be difficult and costly. But also, like if you're hosting a site on WordPress and you know it's your it's your startup site or whatever, and you want to run a CDN, there are some really easy ways to do that through plugins, actually, and they're free. Like you can get a free Cloudflare CDN mm -hmm. for your site. Um, so there are some some really easy ways to do that. As far as tools for like running tests and identifying uh, areas of opportunity within the performance of your site. Uh, you can actually use HubSpot's website grader. It's, I believe it's just website.grader.com. Um, and I'll put the link to that in the description as well as the article that I published. You can use Google's PageSpeed Insights, which we briefly discussed earlier. YSlow as well. Uh, Firebug, that's, that's specifically a plugin for Firefox. GT Metrics is a site that actually uses page speed insights and why slow at the same time, and it'll show you your results in both of them. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. You can compare because they'll give you different scores. Yep. Um, and then Pingdom, the Pingdom speed test, that's mm -hmm. a really popular one. What I like about uh, these tools is that they'll actually like show you the waterfall. Right, of, and then they also make the requests from many different locations. Yeah. So you can kind of get a good idea for what the average page load time is like in totally aggregate. different. Yeah, yeah, like you can you can say, you know, run it from a server halfway across the world mm -hmm. or run it from a server in Massachusetts or whatever and see how that affects things. And then you can look at your waterfall and say, okay, these are the assets that are taking a long time to connect with or to load or whatever it is. Um, and then it'll even give you like a checklist yep. of the, the things that you can do um, to to better increase your performance. Yeah. Something really important to note about this stuff too is that a lot of this is really easy to do and does not take a lot of time. Yeah. This is very low hanging fruit. And so a good way to kind of figure out whether or not performance is integral to your growth process or your growth model is just leave things as they are and then do an A-B split test uh, where you test like the current uh, page payload and then you test like the minified payload where you make some of these optimizations and see how it affects the numbers. Mm -hmm. Like there's a good chance that things might go up. And if mm -hmm. they do go up and maybe drastically, then you know that performance is an area that you really need to focus on and yeah. invest in. Or if you have a site that is performing really well in a certain aspect mm -hmm. and you're a developer or a designer that needs to prove to your internal stakeholders how important performance is, you can actually do a little bit more of a radical test like what uh, Google was doing and you can have an A-B split test where, you know, say that you've minified your code uh, and there's additional performance increases that you want to make elsewhere, then you can have your A variation with the minified code the way that it is and then your B variation with a load delay and see how that impacts things. And you serve that to your audience for, for a couple days mm -hmm. or whatever, nothing that's going to kill your business. And that'll, that, that really uh, helps to drive home. It's like if, if all of the statistics that I listed earlier from Amazon, Google, Yahoo, AOL, Staples, 
whatever aren't enough, then you can test this on your site and, and uh, prove out that hypothesis. But yeah, like the, the coolest thing about this is that all of this stuff is really easy to do. Mm -hmm. Like it sh you shouldn't even really have to prove this to your internal stakeholders in the first place because a lot of this stuff, like you could do it in a couple days. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's also worth saying that we might be wrong here and we might be steering you in the wrong direction. And it might be entirely <laughs> possible that your site is performing fine in its current state and that uh, doing some of this stuff is not going to really change things and there are other places that you should invest in in your growth model. That's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. But you know what? This takes a couple hours to test. Mm -hmm. Or you have to run, let, maybe run, run the test for a couple days, but it's not going to take you long to implement this stuff. So just do it. <laughs> yeah. If you feel like making it more complicated for any reason, there's a great website. <laughs> These guys are cracking up right now. Uh, there's, there's a great website um, that I stumbled upon a little while ago, a little while ago, called uh, you might not need jQuery.com, and uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. We actually built that. Did you really? No, HubSpot published that. Oh, that's us. I was gonna say I was like Austin <laughs> yeah. did not build that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm learning new things about our business every day, and. <laughs> Um, but seriously, uh, this is now that you know that I had no idea this is not product placement for HubSpot, but jQuery is one of those things that sometimes, like especially for front end, because jQuery is a JavaScript uh, library, um, it tends to be a little bit heavier and a little bit overused and a kind of a one size fits all solution to things. There's a lot of plugins, kind of like how if you're building a WordPress site, you, you want to do something, but you don't know how, you just go, is there a plugin for that? People do that with jQuery quite a bit. Um, what makes it harder is the alternatives involve like being better at JavaScript, which is kind of um, something that does not take a couple hours or a couple days. But that can be a, a hangup point. Like if you if you're doing this stuff and you're minifying, but you're like it's not going faster, it could be a code problem. Like maybe the libraries or the like the the frameworks that you're using are not. Um, ideal, and you might need to reevaluate. Yeah. Right. If, if performance is really that critical to your growth model, then at that point, it does make sense to you to like heavily invest in the engineering side of it. So that absolutely holds true. Yeah, exactly. But that's uh, that's that's a tidbit of information. And that's mm -hmm. that's something that probably will not come up for a large percentage of people. You know. So anyway, but we're gonna have to leave you right there. Um, I think this has been a great episode, and I hope you've learned something uh, about performance. Um, we all the links to the things that we've been talking about are going to be up on our website, uh, uxandgrowth.com. And if you want to reach out to us or ask us any questions, um, we have an email address, and that's hello at uxandgrowth.com. All of our contact information is going to be up there, our social medias and stuff like that. We would love to hear from you about this, uh, success stories even, you know, things or any any more examples or anything we missed. Uh, you could tell us why we're wrong. That would be great too. So, <laughs> Don't uh, provoke them. Yeah, no, well, it's good. It's good to know. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day. Bye.